Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I'm Not Mad, I'm Just Irritated. I'm your host, Bill Flanagan, and today we're, we're going to talk a little music with a special guest. I'll introduce him in just a second. Most of you know I'm a music fan. I, I love going to concerts, which has been a big drag not to have been able to attend any shows. Had a lot of those canceled because of COVID. So I have to sit here in my music room, spin some albums, listen to some eight tracks. But I always like talking about about music, bands, bands I like, bands I loved growing up, bands I still listen to, bands that are still out there playing. And today I'm going to talk about those things with a buddy of mine. You might know him as the Hall of Fame voice of the Texas Rangers, Eric Nadell. Yo. Eric Nadell, how's it going, brother? Good, how are you? I'm doing great, man. It's been a while. You you doing all right over there? And uh, you guys in Colorado right now? Yeah, we are. We're going to stay until the weather turns and we can't go hiking anymore. We've got to be out of here by the 15th of December because we have renters coming in. But the weather will probably chase us out earlier than that. Well, right on, man. Well, um, listen, we're going to have a little uh, virtual rock and roll road trip where we're getting into a 19... 76 Camaro with the T-tops off, and we're just going to rap and listen to some tunes, but not really. How's that sound? Sounds good. Okay, but before we do that, uh, we we got some rough news today, and that was the passing of Hal Ketchum, which both you and I have had a connection to. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that, because that that one kind of hits a little bit. It hits a lot, you know. I remember getting a call from uh, Jeff Lyles at the Kessler, either 2012 or 2013, uh, telling me that Hal Ketchum, who hadn't performed in several years, was making a comeback and he was going to play a show at the Kessler. And, you know, I should make sure I got down there and saw it. And I did. And I was so moved by how good he was and by his whole story that I almost immediately booked him to play my birthday concert the following spring and had a chance to talk to him for quite a while that night. And so it really hurts me to, to lose Hal. And I remember reading a year or two ago that he wasn't going to perform anymore because uh, his dementia had gotten to the point where, you know, he couldn't really do it. Right. You know, yeah, I was at that. That was painful show. too. Yeah. Uh, and it was a really good, it was a great show. And I have, seen Hal a dozen times probably either by himself with Kenny his guitar player or the whole band and always fantastic and he's one of these guys that can can write songs and had a velvet voice just was a complete package and I had the privilege of interviewing him for a Huffington Post piece when he was, uh, when I was living in Denton and he came through and played Dan Silverleaf and I reached out to him and he said, yeah. And so I, I rapped with that guy for 10 or 15 minutes. It wasn't long. I recorded it and he couldn't have been nicer. Couldn't have asked me, you know, you know, you know about my writing, you know, about my family, you know, answered the few lame questions that I could think of that probably hadn't been asked a hundred times. But there's one thing he said that just stuck with me and you know, how how was married quite a few times. He had had a, a romance love roller coaster like you, you wouldn't believe. And he had just gotten remarried to his his wife, Andrea, who, you know, helped him through all of the, the poor health years there at the end. 
And he says, you know, Bill, I wake up every morning and I'm happy and I'm so in love. And I'm hearing him say that. And I'm thinking, man, if anybody has a right to be kind of jaded, it's Hal Ketchum. Couldn't have been farther from the truth. And I'll, I'll never forget it. So, yeah, that was kind of a stinging loss. Uh, he's too young. But um, anyway, we're going to uh, move on. So we're in the car. We're in our road trip. First thing you do is you put on some tunes. What album are you going to start your road trip out with? Oh, it's funny. When I was uh, completing my junior year in college and my best friend was completing his senior year, uh, we left New York City and did a six-week cross-country road oh, trip. Oh, that's awesome. And we were, we were loaded up with cassettes and eight tracks. And I would say that the album we played the most... And we're talking now 1971 uh, was Derek and the Dominoes. Good choice. A little Clapton. So that's probably what I would go with um, just for old time's sake. That would be, that'd be the one I'd throw in there. For. That's good. Well, if I get to pick my, my first album out the gate, or in, in this case, it would probably be an, an eight track or a cassette later on a CD would be, um, some girls by the rolling stones i just uh, that is like to me a greatest hits album almost i mean every song on there is you know miss you some girls you know shattered beast of burden there's just it's just amazing that you know that that point in their career they could pull together you know three or four masterpiece albums in a row anyway that's it for me man um so we're gonna have some rules on our talk today about classic rock because you're a guy that knows a lot about contemporary current music. You're really into that. I, I just don't, I don't know that kind of stuff. In fact, it's funny. Sometimes you'll text me a link to a Spotify, uh, a Spotify link to a song and, I, and I don't have Spotify. So then I, I do go and I'll check it out on YouTube or I'll sample it on iTunes. But yeah, I'm probably one of the few guys that I don't really stream. So for this, we're, we're talking about classic rock era. So here's my definition. Are you ready? Okay. It has to be a band or an artist that has at least one album that came out on an 8-track, which goes till about the mid-'80s. So if you start talking about 90s bands, I'll know some of them. I won't know much of the 2000s. But we're going to kind of limit it to, like, the classic rock era. So – that's really the dawn of rock up until probably U2's first album or maybe even Fleetwood Mac's one of their last albums, great albums anyway. So what was, what was your first, um, the first vinyl record that you bought or, or 45 that you remember buying when you were a kid? Um, Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Was that a single? It was, it was no, it was a, it was an album. Uh, it was late 50s, and my sister had brought home um, some Elvis Presley singles, and then I don't know how it was she came about discovering Buddy Holly, um, but she brought home the 45 of, I think it was That'll Be the Day, and I was so in love with that that I had been saving up my allowance money to make my first record purchase. So it wasn't an Edison cylinder purchase. <laughs> it was, it was a, a basic uh, LP of Buddy Holly and the Crickets. That's awesome. Well, 
I'm a little bit younger than you, although I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a spring chicken anymore. My, um, my first 45 was Blackwater by the Doobie Brothers. Right. And I bought 45s because, you know, you got more bang for your buck. They were only, you know, 50 cents. And I couldn't afford a whole album. But my first full album was Street Survivors, Leonard Skinner, which was really their last album. Um, and I'm not sure why I bought it. It has some great songs, but Leonard Skinner's not really a band I listen to much these days. But back at the time, man, I, I, I was all about it. But um, So I know just from personal knowledge of you that you, you're a Springsteen guy, correct? Yes. So you went to his show in New York City when he was doing his Broadway run, correct? Right. So tell yeah, me. we won the lottery for the right to buy tickets. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about, one, that experience and kind of your general love affair with Springsteen, because I have a, I have a Springsteen, you know, connection, but it's, it's, it's not like yours. Well, I was actually resistant to Springsteen at the beginning simply because of the comparisons to Dylan. And when I heard that this guy was like the next Dylan, I, I kind of shut down. It was like there can't be another Dylan. Uh, I'm not I'm not buying this and I didn't really even give him a chance um, through that first album the greetings from Atlantic City album I really didn't pay any attention to it um, and then when the next one came out uh, which was the the East Street Shuffle album um, a friend of mine convinced me to give that album a serious listen and by the time I was done listening to that album, I was hooked and I had gone back and pretty much memorized that first album, too. And I had seen Springsteen perform in several places um, at Reunion Arena a number of times in Dallas, got lucky on the road and saw him at the hockey arena in Seattle, uh, once in uh, Washington, D.C., um, in uh, Tampa one year in spring training. But it wasn't until I got an opportunity to see him at Madison Square Garden that I truly appreciated, you know, the hold that he has on New Yorkers. You know, I've never experienced Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden, and I'd, I'd love to. But probably the closest thing to that uh, is Springsteen. And I've never been at a rock show where there's been energy even close to that. Um, so then to get an opportunity to see his Broadway show also in New York, you know, it was really interesting to see how that would compare uh, to the Madison Square Garden rock show with the E Street. Because it was very different. I mean, I think I saw it on Netflix and it's he's up there a lot talking, explaining things. Correct. Yeah, it's very much like a house concert, you know, that happens to be with, you know, in that case, I don't know how many were in the theater. It's a pretty small theater, probably less than a thousand. Um, and it was it was very private. It was very intimate. Uh, was very revealing, and uh, you know I'm really glad we went. It cost a lot of money, yeah. But I'm glad I'm glad we spent it, and I'm glad we spent the money to have good seats where you could see his facial expressions. Um, it was uh, it was one of the uh, entertainment experiences I'll clearly never forget. I saw Springsteen one time, early 2000s at Frank Irwin Center, and I can say this. It was maybe the only time I remember. I remember it happening where the hair stood up on the back of my neck at a concert. And I've been yeah. to a lot of concerts. I got chill bumps. And for me, 
Springsteen is darkness on the edge of town and the river. And then, of course, by the time you get to Born in the USA, it's, you know, MTV videos and it's, you know, huge success. But when I was in high school, you know, Born to Run came out in 75, a little bit, I was a little bit too young. But Darkness on the Edge of Town, the River, I wore those albums out. And uh, when he came out and did Promised Land, which was on the Darkness on the Edge of Town album, I mean, I got goosebumps. And I can't say that that's happened to me very much. And, but, but for my, you know, run and the time frame that I was all about Springsteen, those are the two albums for me. So if you had to pick, and it's an impossible thing to do, but if you had to spend a couple of albums of Springsteen, which two would they be? Because you got a lot to choose from. Yeah, I probably would go with um, The River, which is a double album. Yes, it is. And, Fantastic. And, and pretty much includes all the different types of genres that uh, Springsteen gets into. Uh, and then I would do either the Wild, the Innocent, and the East Street Shuffle, or Born to Run, you know, which were the second and third albums. Um, I know a lot of people would go with Born in the USA, but um, well, it's a monster. I would I rank mean, that further down. It, it was, ap- you know, the thing that that kind of bugs me about commercial radio and Springsteen is if you hear Springsteen out, you know, I'm not talking about serious radio or if you're streaming, but if you're just listening to regular, you know, broadcast radio and you hear a Springsteen song, it's either going to be born to run or something off born in the USA, almost always with very few exceptions. And there's so many great songs. It just, it's just one of my personal pet peeves. I don't know if you've noticed that or if it's my imagination, but it just seems that way to me. Uh, definitely. Those are the more commercial ones. Um, the uh, later albums, you know, you, you'll get songs from um, The Rising because of the importance of that album following 9-11. Right. Um, I'm a big fan of Radio Nowhere, uh, and I, I love that album, and it, it doesn't get played nearly as much. Um, but you're right. Um, Born in the USA, I think, was the biggest seller that he ever had. And well, and so, I think yeah. one of his underlooked albums is Tunnel of Love. But, you know, to me, that's almost his, his, his last album that to me was truly great. But I want to move in. Of course, that's personal opinion. I'm going to move into my guy, my Springsteen, if you will, is Tom Petty. And they're very similar in a lot of ways. You got guys that were in bands that headlined them, that liked being in bands, that had tremendous long-running success, that were master songwriters, that toured their whole life. And the difference to me, and this is why I give Petty the edge, and you can tell me I'm crazy, and you probably are right, is they both did solo stuff, you know, without their bands. You know, Springsteen would go out and do Nebraska, which was critically acclaimed but didn't have quite the song power it did and then you got petty you know he'll go out and do full moon fever and wildflowers which were remarkable albums and i remember you know like we talked earlier about how catching when tom petty passed away that one killed me because he from the time i was like a you know a, a junior in high school till like a senior and you know junior in college let's say he did four albums i mean it was one every year and every one of them was like the soundtrack to me, like growing up and, and dealing with girls at a young age. And 
I, I, I'll tell you, man, that one, that one stung. But any thoughts on that comparison? Yeah, well, Petty would be my number two, and he's probably the artist that I have seen the second most times in concert, you know, after Springsteen. And, you know, so, I had just seen Petty at Wrigley Field a couple of months before he died and actually had tickets to see him in Berkeley, a show that he canceled just a couple of weeks before he died. Yeah, it's it's unimaginable to me. You know, I wrote a piece about his death and it, it got picked up a couple of places. Huffington Post ran it, Culture Sonar ran it. And it was basically a tribute to him, you know, you know what Tom Petty taught me about girls. Because, you know, at that age, that's you can't wrap your head around it. You're still figuring it out. And, you know, of course, years later, you'll never know it and <laughs> never know how to maneuver those waters. But, yeah, he um, he did, what, three sold out shows at the Hollywood Bowl. And then, what, five or seven days later, he was dead. It just it just made no sense to me. It was it was it was ridiculous. Re- insane but you mentioned that you've seen him a lot who, who are some of the people you've seen the most um i think i've probably seen after springsteen and maybe petty bare naked ladies is the group that i've seen the most i've seen them they're great in concert and and in the most different places um we actually um discovered them um in toronto uh sometime in the early 90s just out, off of hearing their songs on the radio and seeing a couple of their videos on the Canadian version of MTV. And I started making it uh, a point to see them live after the first time I saw them live, which was in Cleveland, where we just happened to luck out into a show. And after that, we saw them in uh, San Francisco at the Fillmore. Uh, We saw them at one year, we went New Year's Eve, my wife and I, to Chicago and saw them at the Riviera Theater. Uh, we saw them in Houston the first time they ever played there before maybe 30 or 40 people in a oh, club wow. on Westheimer. I don't even remember the name of it. Um, we saw them in about five different venues in Dallas over the years. And then finally, uh, the last time I saw them was at Red Rocks a few years ago. And Great venue. I've never been. I, I don't think people realize how big Bare Naked Ladies were in you know, a 10 year period there from, you know, early to mid nineties on, they were, they were massive and they, yeah, they were doing worldwide TV events. And, uh, you know, we went from seeing them with 30 people in Houston to, you know, them playing before millions of people around the world. Yeah. That's, that's unbelievable. Um, for me, obviously ZZ top I've, you know, my brother, as you know, is a musician. He plays with Gibbons, so I've seen him a lot in the last five years. But even prior to that, you know, my brother and I were hitting shows, you know, on the DeGueo tour, on the Oloco tour, and then Eliminator just blew him up. But we've we've seen him a million times. It's funny because we laugh about like, you know, here we are, kids. We're in Dallas at the Winter Garden. We see, you know, Billy Gibbons, Dusty Hill running around in their, you know, flight suits, and you know all these years later, you know, we're hanging out. Um, he's such a character, but we just kind of look at each other and just kind of laugh. It's like, yeah, it just seems like the other day we were, you know, in your Camaro, we had somehow gotten a six pack of low and brow and some cigars and we were driving around town. Like we knew what we were doing and <laughs> it's just ridiculous. So, um, okay. We're going to play a game. Are you ready? Let's go. 
Okay, what, first of all, before, before I tell you the rules, tell me the greatest band that is named after either a city, state, or continent. You know, some sort of proper noun location like that. Uh, knee-jerk, I'd say Boston. Okay, that would be my number two. Chicago would be my number one. Oh, Chicago would be good. And I'm also a big fan of America, if that counts. Oh, nice. Okay, so you kind of got ahead of me on the game because what we're going to do is we're going to take turns. You're going to tell me a name of a band that fits that criteria that I mentioned, and then it's going to be my turn, and we're going to go back and forth until someone can't think of one. Okay, so <laughs> you said Boston, I said Chicago, and then you said America. So it's my turn. I'm going to say Kansas. Ooh, I, I was going to go with that one next. Okay. Mm. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. Yeah, so. no kidding. Think of a continent. I can think of two that are continents. There's only seven continents. Two of them are bands. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Asia. Asia. Is that how Asia's we're one. Asia? Do what? Is that how we're spelling Asia? A-S-I-A? Yeah. The continent Asia? Oh, I was thinking of the Steely Dan album, Asia. Oh, no. You know, like heat of the moment Asia yeah, yeah, with yeah. that, you know, okay. serpent. So you have Asia and Europe. You remember Final Countdown? No. Okay. Can you think of any others? And I'll, I'll tell you this. You can even go modern bands. It doesn't have to be classic rock bands. All right. Well, there's a guy I love right now who, who calls himself Alex Cuba, which is not okay. his name, but uh, he's from Cuba. He's actually Canadian now. But, uh, All right. I'm going to say Atlanta Rhythm Section. Ooh, that's good. One of my favorite bands, actually. <laughs> um, the uh, Florida Georgia Line, does that count? Oh, that does count. All right. I'm going to go... Orleans. Does that count? Yeah, that's a count. Okay. New Orleans, Orleans. They had that one song, Still the One. That's the only thing I can yeah, remember. Right, right. How about um, Alabama? Ooh, good one. All right. Not I'm going to go. Of, I'm not a fan of theirs. But. No, but hey, they meet the criteria. How about, um, I'm trying to think of LA or New York. Okay, New York, New York Dolls. I know it's kind of obscure, but you probably have heard of yeah. them. Yeah, that certainly works. Okay. There's only one more I can think of, I will by the go way. With um, George Thorogood and the Delaware Destroyers. Ooh, that's that's excellent. Okay, the only other one I can think of right now is the Miami Sound Machine. Does that count? Oh yeah, sure. Okay, that I'm out after that. I can't think of if you can think of one, you're gonna win this game. Ooh, and I am a big fan of the Miami Sound Machine, by the way. As you should be. Uh, I can't think of any more. Give up. Oh, are, are you Googling right no, now? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at the map. I'm... Well, Texas is bound to have somebody in their title. And other than that, I can't. How about, wasn't, weren't there the Ohio players? 
Oh, you win. Bingo. That's a great one. Roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Okay, next topic. What is your most underrated, do you think your most underrated band? A band that should have been bigger or should still be more, well, more revered or more airplay that maybe died on the vine a little bit. You just don't really hear about. Maybe they don't even tour anymore and they, they could. Can you think of, think of a band from that era that you would consider somewhat underrated? If you want, if you want to think about it, I'll tell you who mine is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So for me, it's Billy Squire, and I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. So Billy Squire had really two big albums in the early '80s, before I think '81, '82, '83. He had, um, oh, In the Dark, which was multi-platinum, and then Emotions and Motions. I have both of those eight tracks, and I listen to them a lot. And I don't know if you remember what happened to Billy Squire, but he he did a video on MTV called Rock Me Tonight where he pranced around in like a ripped up half shirt, you know, crawled on the floor like he was a, a panther, you know, and some it, it was just awful. And it it basically killed his career. That video is often cited as the death of Billy Squire. And he 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 doesn't tour. He hasn't toured. I don't know. I guess he still is able to make all of his money off of residuals. Most of these guys end up touring because they need the dough. Right. And, and then you have people confusing him with Billy Thorpe because, you know, they both start with Billy. Billy Thorpe had one hit like Children of the Sun. I happen to have that eight track, too. But Billy Squire had a couple really great albums. And then he killed himself because he could not get into the MTV air. It killed his career. So I, I think he's kind of underrated. You almost never hear him on TV. Occasionally you might hear the stroke mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. And, and that's really about it. Um, can you think of anybody? Um, just going way back, I would say Badfinger. Great band. And that, I, don't, I don't know what the, you know what the internal story was, why they didn't become the next Beatles which, you know, was the whole idea when, I guess, when Apple signed them to begin with. Um, but I love them, and I also love The Knack. You know, that's, I'm going to talk about The Knack for just a second, but Badfinger, I started listening to more because if on the season finale, the, the series finale of Breaking Bad, they played, I think it was Baby Blue uh-huh. was the name of the song. And I loved it, and I'd, I had never heard it before. And that's the scene where Walt is dying and Jesse's getting away and they're, they're, they're playing Baby Blue. And so I started listening to them and they are fantastic. The Knack, as you remember in the late 70s, I, I was in high school, but they were a monster, monster band. They were a nuclear mushroom cloud on the landscape back when that album came out, yeah, I mean, and the, extremely popular. And there's a uh, there's a really good documentary about them and how they flamed out. It's called "Get Into the Neck." Yes, I've seen it on YouTube. I don't know if it's still available, but it is really good. Yeah. And you know, people consider them a one hit wonder, but only because they're they're known for "My Sharona." But they had another song you never hear it. It actually reached almost hit the top ten. Good girls don't. That's right. And if they had just had that one hit, 
and not have recorded my Sharona, you know, then yeah, they're a one hit wonder. They had a, a, a song that essentially, you know, got to the top 10 and never did anything else. But you know, it always irritates me when people call them a one hit wonder because it's like, well, God, they had another song that charted all the way up to 11. What does it take to not be considered a one hit wonder? But when you're singularly known for that one song, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, I suppose. But anyway, um, if you could be in one of these bands, because I've, I've thought about this a lot because, you know, we all fantasize about being rock stars. Now, uh, uh, the only condition is you can't be the lead singer that's a whole different conversation but if you could be in one of these bands you're you're in the band you're a member what band do you think that you would choose to be in from the classic rock era and just ride out that wave of of just being a badass up on stage and recording and being um, i think i would take bare naked ladies because i think they have more fun than any band i've ever seen and they do seem to have and a they're time. so clever you know, they, they pretty much were rapping before rap was even popular. Um, and they do a lot of spontaneous stuff. Um, and they're really funny. So uh, I think that's the band I would probably enjoy being in the most. My choice would be one of the guys in Aerosmith. And I'll tell you why. They've been playing for 50 years. I saw them in Vegas no more than a year or two ago. And it was the only time I've ever seen him, actually. And I wasn't expecting that much. These guys are not young. You know, they're in their 70s, late 60s, early 70s. And I was blown away. And I'm thinking, these guys are still bringing it. You know, Steven Tyler's going up on this ramp that goes up, you know, 70 feet up in the air. And Joe Perry's playing guitar behind him. And they've been doing it their whole lives. And they have such great songs. They had, you know, they were popular in the... In the in the 70s, they had a kind of a you know a rebirth in the in the 80s into the early 90s, and it's just like man, it, it just if you're gonna live a life and you want it to be long and 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 it, and that ugh. either that or the fiddle player in Kansas, <laughs> that one of those guys, the fiddle player in Kansas, what's that guy's story? Yeah, yeah, um, you know, I also I'd like to be in one of those bands where the uh, players play multiple instruments. Like um, Blind Pilot is one of them, um, where everybody in the band plays like two or three instruments and everybody sings leads. Everybody has that kind of talent. Um, I'd like that. Or even the uh, Avid Brothers is another one of those bands that just, there's so much joy involved in what they do that I think it would be just a wonderful experience to be part of that. Do you have a show that you've been to that? You know, you weren't expecting all that much. You went maybe begrudgingly or it's like, yeah, I'll go see him. And then you were like, I had no idea it would be this great. Yeah, Avid Brothers was actually it. Um, no I kidding. I was familiar with them, had never been to a show, didn't plan to go to a show. And we wound up in Chicago on a day that they were playing at the Chicago Theater um, and had nothing to do that night. And through a connection with the White Sox, we wound up getting the house seats which were like in the fourth row right in front of the stage. And by the time that show was over, I was, I was the biggest Avid Brothers fan in history. That, that is, that's amazing. And you'd be able to, I mean, sometimes we get lucky, you know, we have some connections and we could, we can, you know, get those experiences. The, the best show that I ever saw that I just had the lowest expectations of, 
I was in Vegas. We went at the last minute, bought tickets at the last minute, didn't have great seats. And believe it or not, it was one of the best shows, probably top top 10 or 15 in, of hundreds of shows was Lionel Richie. Oh, wow. Yeah. He blew me away because it wasn't just songs. It was, he was entertaining us like a, like a typical Vegas performer would do. He's, you know, weaving a few little narratives into the story, but not too much. He had Wayne Newton visiting in the front row. So he was on, you know, doing his best job, I think. Also coach K the Duke coach was also there. He mentioned them and, and he played so many Commodore songs that you don't hear on the radio. Really? Uh-huh. No, I mean, you f- actually forget, you know, normally when you, you hear a Commodore song, it's, it's brick house or three times a lady, you know, and there's all these other smooth, you know, easy, like Sunday morning, still all these great. I mean, he just sounded amazing. I, I was expecting, you know, something okay. And I was pleasantly surprised on the opposite of that. Tell me about a concert you went to that you were really excited about. That was absolutely awful. Ooh. Um, I don't know if I can say the concert was awful, but the experience was awful. Um, we saw you two at the Tarrant County convention center which was in no way equipped to handle the sound that U2 was producing. Is that right? Completely overmodulated, distorted, and grossly loud. Uh, We we didn't Mm. make it through a half an hour. No kidding. That's disappointing because I've seen U2 a couple of times and And blew me out of the water. The first time I saw them. I've since seen them in a better venue, but that was the first time I saw them, and it was... Very, uh, very disheartening. For me, I'm a big Eagles fan. I saw the Eagles at the Cotton Bowl and the Texas Jam. I was right up front. It was an amazing moment for me. I've always been an Eagles fan. And I had a chance out here in Austin at this little bitty venue um, to see Timothy B. Schmidt solo, which, you know, I thought, okay, he's an Eagle. He had a few, you know, I can't tell you why, uh, another one off of uh, their later albums that was a hit. And, you know, he was also the lead singer of Poco. I'm, I'll go I'm see a huge him. Poco fan. So I, I, I did pay- see them a few times. I went with my brother. I even paid for his ticket. I said, you know, I'm, I'll pay for your ticket. I just want to go with somebody. So we went. And, you know, the venue only hold, held 300 people. We could have, you know, thrown a spit wad at Timothy B. Schmidt. We were so close. And... He actually played a long time, but Glenn Fry just died. He did play, you know, Take It Easy in tribute to him, which was good. And then he went off and started singing all these songs that he had written. And honest to goodness, it, it was almost like he was, you know, I woke up and I opened up my window and I made my bed and I then I had cooked some eggs. It's like the next thing you know, he's going to start singing us a song about making a sandwich. <laughs> and so I look at my brother and I'm going – you know, we start kind of making fun of what we're listening to. It's like, man, just sing. I can't tell you why. And, and and my brother says, if he does start singing about making, making a sandwich, I'm leaving. (laughs) And we don't make it through the end of that show. And I've never been more disappointed. The seats were not cheap. And we left probably after an hour and 45 minutes. I don't know how much longer he was going to play, but I, I was really pumped to see him. 
you know, he's an Eagle. I love the Eagles. And it is without question the worst money I ever spent on a ticket. It, it was just, just craziness. But so you and I have been lucky enough to sometimes be in the right place at the right time at a show, maybe get some access or meet some people. Um, what's one of the coolest or coolest, weirdest, craziest things that you've ever gotten to do at, at going on one of these shows? Um, hmm. We had a chance at a um, Death Cab for Cutie show. Had a chance to go backstage and uh, meet Ben Gibbard, who's the guy who's the lead vocalist and, and writes all the songs. Um, just through a mutual acquaintance of mine, uh, Josh Cantor, who's the organist at Fenway Park, and also plays backup with a lot of bands when they when they come through Boston, including Death Cab. And when Death Cab played in Dallas, uh, he arranged for me to go backstage to meet Ben because he said Ben was a big baseball fan. He was a Seattle Mariners fan. And I didn't realize till I got back there how big a fan he was. And we just had a, an incredible conversation about baseball and music. Um, and something that, you know, basically uh, just all happened within a span of a couple of hours that day when I mentioned that I was going to see Death Cab. And that was, uh, that was a great experience. And I've seen Death Cab a few times since then. It turned me into, uh, you know, a huge fan of theirs. And I really wasn't that familiar with their music before that. That that's cool. I have just one experience that I think is super weird, and that's because um, so you know my brother is friends with Gibbons. They were playing a show out here at the F1 track probably two years ago in Austin, and it was ZZ Top, Bad Company, and Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick opened, so we get there. You know, we get star treatment. We're backstage. There's kind of a some different hallways, dressing rooms. It's all open concept kind of. And um, so I'm with my son and we're going to go around the corner. We're going to stand on the side of the stage. Cheap trick is fixing to come up on stage. I was a big cheap trick fan back in the day. And I come around the corner and I practically bump in to Robin Zander, but it's not just that he is dressed in his complete dream police <laughs> outfit with his, his white slacks his white jacket and his white police hat. And he is super cool. I mean, he looks great. I mean, he looks like he's 42. I don't know how old the guy is. And he's, Hey boy, you're tall. You know, my son's about my height. And, uh, I said, yeah, we're fixing to check you out the side of the stage. Y'all have fun. So that was one thing is seeing, you know, bumping into the dream police guy. And then we're standing on the side of the stage and, and Rick Nielsen changes his guitar every song. He's throwing guitar picks into the crowd five times a song. A hundred of them go in there before the day is over. So I'm standing with my son, a couple other people on the side of the stage. And I don't know why, but he comes over to me in the middle of a song and he's holding the, and he hands me a pick like he wants me to strum his guitar. And I'm thinking, what, what is happening here? So he goes, yeah, strum it. Strum it. So I strum it a few times and he runs back over there. He does it like three times where he comes. I don't know why he picked me. <laughs> there were other, you know, there were pretty girls next to me. And then, you know, I strum the guitar and I could see people in the crowd. They can kind of see me on the side of the stage and they're, 
I'm sure they think it's weird. And then he reaches into his pocket and he hands me about 50 guitar picks and, and, and just dumps them into my hand. And I, I stick them in my pocket and, you know, I'm, I'm giving them to my friends for the next two weeks, but that just is insanity. That just doesn't really happen. I, I still laugh about it. My son still laughs about it, but yeah, that, that was a fun day. And, you know, I, I was a really surprised bad company and Paul Rogers, he sounded really good. And, and you know, these guys, they're, they're not young anymore and they've been touring mm-hmm. since the seventies. And it's, you know, with these guys getting older and either they're stopped touring or, you know, sadly they pass on. I, it, it, I feel like, um, yeah, I'm just losing my childhood. All these guys that, you know, I listen to, uh, it's, it's, it can get you down, especially in era of COVID when you have, when you're listening to these guys a lot, just to kind of make it from day to day. And anyway, um, any, any thoughts on, on any of these, these guys getting older? Yeah. I mean, it's painful sometimes, you know, and we talked at the beginning about Hal Ketchum and, you know, Hal in recent years, you know, couldn't hit the high notes that he used to hit. And, you know, he made the adjustments in the songs um, but, you know, Small Town Saturday Night, he couldn't get all the way up there the way he used to. And it's interesting to see the way they make the adjustments. Even Elton John, who I saw a year ago, um, clearly, you know, isn't hitting all the high notes in his songs anymore. He's working around it. And seeing how right. the artists are doing that, you know, is really interesting to me. I actually remember seeing Frank Sinatra uh, just a year or two um, before he passed and you know he would he wouldn't even sing the verse that had the <laughs> had the high notes in it he would just let the orchestra play it and you know he'd walk around the stage um, but watching how they do that is is always really interesting to me it, it is interesting to see how some of these guys adapt I um you know I, I'm a big psychedelic furs fan I've seen Richard Butler you know sing 15 a dozen times probably and his voice is so unique and and he manages to really hold up well i saw the zombies played in denton at an outdoor festival you know they just got in the rock and roll hall of fame a year or two ago and that guy that those songs aren't easy to sing and he he pulled it off but it's hard so yeah i mean like a guy like paul mccartney who can really hardly sing anymore i'd still listen to him singing a phone booth i I wouldn't care yeah uh, i agree i saw mccartney a few years ago and the same sort of thing you know he obviously can't sing like he used to but uh plenty good enough so we're going to close on a little uh speaking of mccartney you know if we're going to put anybody on the um mount rushmore of rock it's got to be stones and beatles and then two other guys and I, I love them both. I'm not wanting to, you know, some people, they want to argue that one is better than the other, but um, they're so different. So it depends on your mood on which one of these two bands you might want to listen to. So I'm going to give you an activity and you're going to tell me if you're doing this activity, which either Beatles or Stones you're going to listen to while you're doing right. this. Okay. All right. So, and, and really there's no, there is only one right answer. So it's not a thing where, well, there's no wrong answer. There is a wrong answer and they're pretty obvious. It just goes to show you to highlight the differences in these two, these two sounds. So okay, you're, you're at home, you're cooking dinner with your wife, drinking some wine. Um, what are you listening to? 
That's correct. That is the Anything right I'm answer. doing with my wife, uh, next the answer is going to be Beatles. <laughs> doesn't matter what the activity is. Okay, well, fair enough. I think my wife's the same way, actually. Okay, you're, you're partying your tail off in okay, Vegas with your pals. That's all the way. Absolutely. Um, next one. Um, you're most likely to hear in an elevator. Oh, uh, probably Beatles. I agree. Yeah. Lots of mellow tunes. You're, you're in, you're, you need to pump yourself up. You're going on a run oh, or you're going for that's a workout. Stones. Which you one you got? You want the energy, you want the stones. Absolutely. Um, you're experimenting with mushrooms. Oh, I'd, I'd go with the psychedelic beetles. You know, I think uh, that's correct, actually. Um, they kind of embodied that. Uh, although this is one where I would give you a pass if you, if you went both ways. Okay, how about this one? This might be up your alley. You get to choose one of these bands to be your walk-up music. You're, you're, you're a baseball uh, hitter, major league hitter. Uh, probably Which one you got? Stones. Or the I agree. I think if you, you know, yeah, totally. A nature documentary. <laughs> I think you'd find a Beatles song somewhere for that. I agree. Um, you're leaving the house and you want to put some music on for your dogs. Uh, I'd go Beatles there too. Dancing at the club with oh, your lady. Gosh. Agreed. If you're going to be best pals with either McCartney or Jagger, Tell me which Ooh. one and why. I think Jagger, he probably has better stories. You know, I think the same thing. I, I would have thought that most people would pick McCartney because he's, he's a Beatle. But Jagger, man, that, yeah. that dude's yeah. seen it all. Man. Wider range of experiences, um, probably. So before we go, I want you to tell me, since... I don't stream and I'm still listening to eight tracks and albums. And, you know, I don't listen to the Avet brothers. I've heard of them. Uh, tell me a couple of bands that, Hey, you know, you're really missing out on this. You really need to, 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 to listen to these guys or ladies. Okay. Um, well, number one would be Jason Isbell in the 400 unit. My son loves him. And I, and I actually don't know that much about him, but I've heard of him, obviously. And he is awesome on Twitter. I've seen his tweets. Yeah, we would. We, for me, he is the he is the number one um, songwriter uh, of today's generation of songwriters. Does he have a fiddle player in his band? Um, the fiddle player is his wife, Amanda Shires. So he does. Oh, I just I have a hard time, you know. Tom Petty said in, in the documentary Running Down a Dream, he said, you know, country music is like a bad rock band with a fiddle player. And I've never forgotten it. It just it haunts at me. So, but I'm going to have to get by and we get past that. Um, so Jason Isabel in the 400 unit. Um, so quick question. Are they better than Fog? Well, they're Hat? different. You know, they're an Americana band. <laughs> you know? But I would say, yes. Sure. They're, uh... <laughs> okay. Because that's a pretty low bar. You know, Foggy had two songs, Fool for the City and Slow Ride. And, you know, they're a great rock band, but nothing special. Um, give me another uh, one. But how are you with uh, The Shins? 
I don't know much about the shins. I've heard you talk about the shins, and I, I know you've seen them a few times, right? I would say the shins and, and a band I mentioned a little while ago, Blind Pilot. All right, I'm writing these down. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to at least three songs from each okay. of those bands. All right, and then next time we wrap, I'll give you a report card. Blind yep. Pilot was the other one. All right. Um, hey man, thanks for hanging out with me on my little rock and roll. This road was fun. Trip. I, I, um, this there's is my one little name I want to mention that we haven't brought up because he, he goes all the way back Let's do it. to the A track era, but he's still putting out incredible music. He has a new album this year that I really like called Hello Clockface, and that is Elvis Costello. And he would I love be Elvis on Costello. I mean, with the Stones and the Beatles, I would have him and Springsteen. Those would be my other two. Well, those are good choices. I, well, I'd have to put Petty on there. And if Petty's going to bump Springsteen, then so be it. Because to me, they're very similar. Stones, Beatles, Petty. Um, if I had to go... <sighs> Is it is it a band or just one dude, one well, face, one be lady? A band or if we have Beatles and Stones on there, then I guess it could go either way. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh gosh, Ooh. Steve Miller. But I will say this: I, I love Steve Miller. He's one of my guys. But there's one song, and I don't know if you have a song like this. Uh, uh, one you know, a Springsteen song that you just hate that you have to turn every time you it comes on the radio. But when I hear <laughs> Abracadabra, I have to turn it. Yeah, how did he do that song? <laughs> did you ever see the amazing uh -huh, Burt Wonderstone yeah. that movie? Well, they ruined. I mean, <laughs> Abracadabra was already awful for me, but they absolutely ruined it. Uh, it is hilarious uh, that movie is a movie i saw that i thought would not be very funny and i laughed my tail off the entire time it is to me you know steve carell and jim carrey and steve buscemi hilarious but they just they just ruin abracadabra what what, what was i asking we you? were talking about the i, I, I lost my Mount rushmore and you had steve miller on there yeah steve miller but you know i could i also like sticks i like journey i like you know I like a lot of guys. I like Fleetwood back. You know, I like heart, you know, I, I'm still uh -huh. in love yeah. with Nancy Wilson and she's 65 now. My brother played a, a gig at um, the Beacon theater, a John Varvatos where they have, you know, like 15 people go up there and do two songs. And uh, Ann and Nancy Wilson were up there. They just kind of gotten back. They were, had been estranged for a couple of years and he came back and did a couple songs and he walked around the corner and boom, they both were sitting right there and he kind of was taken aback and, he waved at him. How you doing? And then Nancy Wilson blew him a kiss. He said he almost lost his mind. And I'm going, I, I was so jealous. You know, why, why no can kidding. I have a kiss blown right. by Nancy Wilson? Yeah. Well, listen, man, you take care. Have a good Thanksgiving. Likewise, it was good rapping with you. It. And oh, there was one other band we didn't mention. We didn't talk about the Beach Boys. And they maybe deserve to be up there, too, on that mountain. You're probably right. You're probably right. Pet sounds. Everyone loves it. I, I don't get it, but I, I have to I have to defer yeah. to other people's okay. knowledge on that one.
All right, man. Take Thanks, care. Say hi to everybody you. for me. Be good. See ya. See. see.